0: Kate de is with us to talk about some of the great books that she has been reading and enjoying recently. Um, The weekend is a great time to sit down and curl up somewhere with a a good book. Um, And you've got several to talk us through today. Where are we starting?
1: So we'll start with um, Service, a novel by Sarah Gilmartin, who's an Irish writer. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to think of a sentence to um, demonstrate the kind of the power of this book. It's sort of insidiously enthralling. Mm. Um, it's set in the 90s in a high end restaurant in Dublin mm-hmm. and it's basically centres around the accusation of sexual depredation f- from the chef mm-hmm. um, against some of his um, I guess his staff a- a, um, an accusation comes to court and the novel takes place across three different narrations there's three points of view. Hannah young girl from the country who worked at the restaurant, and Daniel, the chef, and his narration and his wife's point of view are in present time as the trial is happening. Hannah is remembering how she came to the restaurant and how kind of enthralled she was by the... Have you ever worked in a restaurant? I have, yeah. Yeah, I've only ever worked as a baker briefly, Mm. but um, my son was in hospital for years, and I know quite a bit about the sort of the excitement and the ghastliness of the kitchen. <laughs> and um, it's the, the, it's a very clever um, structure to the story. Hannah begins and the, uh, the reader is with her in her sort of innocent excitement at the... Um, this is the 90s mm. and, and uh, Ireland's, you know, the tiger is the on the rise. The tiger was on the rise, yes. And excess is everything mm. and money has been splashed around and... Um, It's very good at showing the sort of kind of beleaguered relationships of the staff and how they all, um, you know, club together against the hierarchy of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, very slowly and cleverly, she introduces the slippery boundaries across the staff and the kitchen and the power relationships that are breached. Mm. So... That's really interesting and kind of exciting in a strange way, but there's a sort of hum of anxiety beneath it because you sort of know where it's going. Mm. And then we come to Daniel, who is just a fascinating study in cognitive dissonance, really. Um, he's a man from a sort of um, not a particularly advantaged background, and he's kind of hit the heights. So he's 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 sailing on this incredible reputation. And the, the really fascinating part of it is his... Um, rationalizations Mm. for what you realize he does and because he's not he's not a completely evil guy Mm. you know he loves his wife he loves his kids etc etc he's very talented but it's just an excellent study in kind of male predatory blindness and it um, and then I think maybe even the one the the part of it that I love the most is the wife because she too has been suffering a terrible dissonance the whole time. She's come from quite a disadvantaged background, and the kind of status that she's um had as a consequence of being with her partner and her big you know she's got her own working life, mm. the big house, huge consumption, et cetera, et cetera I mean it's a real moral tale and so that those three alternate throughout, and I'm, I'm, i i don 't want to give away what happens, mm. but we see some of the trial, and then there's all these um other sort of minor relationships which are all about sort of power differentials as well the lawyer, the female barrister who defends daniel it's only a small portrait, but it's very well done because you can tell that she's sort of disgusted by him but um but this is going to be a big case for her to win so there's 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 self um, regard and self from you know um, people have their own agendas all the way through this. Mm-hmm. I think that the most sort of, it 's quite a gutting book to read i mean it 's quite crisp, and the narrative hums along but there 's such an inevitability in terms of the destruction of the people, especially Hannah and how her life has just been kind of, um, you know, completely derailed over the previous 10 years, but also Julie, the wife, Mm. because of how she's more or less, it's a little bit like the um, recent um, excellent New Zealand TV drama with, um, which was about... Oh, with Robin Malcolm. With Robin Malcolm. After the party. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. You only had a little bit of a sense of how she'd overlooked things, you know, signs going through the years, it's a little bit more obvious here. But the most gutting thing is is the effect on the children, the mm. sort of um, the roller coaster that they ride while, while the mother's trying to um, kind of shield them from what's going on. There's some really excoriating scenes where they're with their dad and he's you know getting a program from all over the show. Mm. So it's re- morally and ethically it's really clear um, what's going on, but it's very, very well done in the sense that you nevertheless feel, you do feel for Daniel. Um, you, you, you abhor what he's done and you really feel for his wife even though you're, you're sad and sorry that she's been blind to what's gone on. Mm-hmm. So a, a really interesting, highly political read. And I think it's obviously been um, charged by Me Too. What's very interesting is at the end there's a note saying, in fact... A trial like this would never have happened in Ireland because the legal system is so weighted against um, women bringing um, uh, charges against men. So in a way, it's a kind of aspirational story, <laughs> a fantasy story, kind of. But it doesn't—it doesn't rob any of the power of mm. the story. It's really well done. So that's—it's uh,
0: it's also interesting when you get books like that that kind of that snag you and you kind of think that you should be. You should be feeling one way, but you don't. No, and 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 that's where
1: you get that complexity and that lovely texture. That's right. Yeah. Other, otherwise, it would be kind of obvious and glib. Mm. But it, it's actually it's very textured and complex. So, mm. um, but not not a um, you know not a comfortable reach. <laughs> no, but, no. Um, so that is service
0: by Sarah Gilmartin. Your next one. I've just seen you reach for it,
1: um, clutching it. Cuddy, Cuddy, Cuddy by Benjamin Myers. Now
0: you said we were talking earlier, and
1: um, you were saying you thought this was May. Maybe your favourite out of these ones? I I, I like them all very Mm. much, but this one has a special sort of resonance for me because, um, just to give a little explanation, Benjamin Myers has been writing for about 15 years. He was a music journalist. He's written music biographies. He's quite the Renaissance man. He's a fiction writer. He's written nature writing, poetry, two really good crime novels. And um, one of the sort of... There are several themes that are across all his work. The landscape, the sort of throbbing English landscape, the repository of history and myth, both mm. dark and light. Um, that's that's a big animator in his stories, and also social inequality is um, is a big theme through his books, mm-hmm. you know, across the ages and the north. Generally, this is the northeast a lot of the time, but the north of England. Mm. It's almost like he's a kind of a he's not a booster for it, but he's just really um, driven to tell stories out of that landscape and this is the story of St Cuthbert of Lindisfarne um, the saint along with Aidan, St Aidan who um, came out of the Celtic Christian tradition and came over to England you know the sort of two traditions from Europe and from um, Ireland basically Mm. and um, he is the hero and the patron saint of the north, he lived on Lindisfarne, he was the bishop of Lindisfarne now known as Holy Island Mm. um, at the monastery And um, he was loved. He existed, but a a huge amount of mythology has grown up around him as well. Not least that when he he sort of almost in his later life became almost like an anchorite, he went to Farn Island, which is nearby, Mm. and lived um, a hermit life and communed with the otters. There's many, many different um, really lovely um, mythologies around what happened. When he died... He was buried at Lindisfarne and this is in about, I think it must be about 700, 800 mm. and lies um, there until the Vikings start um, predating the north and they dig him up and this is all true they dig him up and then basically his his body inside his coffin is is on the move for the next hundred years avoiding um, the Vikings and it's ferried by a group of people, monks, called the Herba folk. I think that's Kind of, I don't know whether it's Old English or, or Middle English, and um, they wander and rest for for some time. They're at um, a place called Chesterle Street for about eighty years, and um, but, they're, but they're basically wandering. So Myers starts with this, um, the Herer folk and the group of monks, and a young woman called um, what she called El- Elva, mm. um, which which means visionary, and he's following them. In the last days of the wandering, as they're waiting for a signal as to where Cuthbert should be buried, and this is the origin of Durham Cathedral. Basically, Cuthbert—it's basically built to house Cuthbert's body mm. and bones—and the the novel is written in sev- across basically a thousand years, and in several. Um, literary style. So the first part of it is a kind of prose poem as they're wandering and moving, which is consistent with the movement of them and the relationships between the monks and this amazing young girl who's mm. cooking for them who they've picked up on the way and has these startling visions of where they'll end up, which is basically Durham. And on the page, the visions start off in big print and they, they're incredibly florid and rhapsodic, and, then they, and they become, the print becomes smaller and smaller and smaller as she wakes up from the visions. And at the same time, she's forming a relationship with a boy called Owl Eyes who comes along with him. That's the first part of the book. Then the the, the next major part is in the 1300s, and it concerns – so we're in Durham now – and it concerns a mason making his mark. The cathedral's built after several attempts, Mm -hmm. and um, that's a fairly straight kind of prose, but with very short pieces. And then we're in 1827, an absolutely hysterical bit, which concerns, again, um, Durham – it's all taking place at Durham – a pompous – as of an antiquarian comes to Durham because he's been asked to come and verify whether um, whether um, Cuthbert's alleged non-disintegration um, is for real, whether he's still intact mm. and he becomes completely haunted by um, his own kind of um, weaseliness really and he's being challenged by the ghost of Cuthbert in a way. That's a very funny part because he narrates it. And then the final part is with Ma- Michael In 2019, a young boy who comes from a very um, disadvantaged background but has a beautiful spirit, and he's working where he can on demolition sites, risking asbestos, poisoning. He's been harried by his employers, and he gets a chance. At at the same time, his mother is dying by degrees and won't have Mm. any help, and he's looking after her. It's a very beautiful final passage, and he gets a job at the cathedral helping the Masons. And... um, in between these main parts are these extraordinary um, quotes from the huge literature on Cuthbert and Lindisfarne and Durham Cathedral, and, but he's, um, Myers has arranged them so that they're almost like their own narration, they've got their own sort of rhythm. He's amazing in the, in the different ways he uses language um, in, in terms of it being fitting for the subject at the time. And um, and then there's another amazing piece, a very very short piece in the middle, where the cathedral actually talks in the sixteen in 1650 when it's housing 3,000 prisoners at the end of the um, English Civil War. The mm. Prisoners are all dying, and the cathedral's sort of helping them th- through to their death. I, it's an extraordinary book, mm. and um, I mean I've been to Durham, and it made me instantly want to go back there. But just as a, re- it sounds complex. But it's really not. It's a completely compelling read. And I sort of read it end to end over several days Mm. and was just kind of buried in it. Marvellous. Okay. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) One one more thing can I say about that, Susie? Um, Myers is, I think, writing in a really long and venerable tradition in English literature, which is um, kind of a mix of nature, landscape writing, mythology and folklore. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading this, I was reminded of two other books, Ulverton by Adam Thorpe, which is set in an English village over 600 years, and two recent books, Crow Court and Villager. Um which do the same thing on the same plot of ground, and a whole bunch of children's books, particularly Ellen Garner, Susan Cooper, and Jane Gardham. Mm-hmm. So if readers are interested, that's a really interesting reading trail to follow. Yeah, the idea of place and, and yeah. the place being a character. Place a character and and the holder of um, history, memory, you know, humanity and at its best and worst. because mm. there's some rough stuff in Cuddy as well, but there's some there's a bad monk pretty much every century. Oh, no. But the rest of them are nice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and in a way, that links rather beautifully with oh, The Stranger
0: Artist. Beautiful segue to the final book, uh, The Stranger artist: Life at the Edge of Kimberley Painting.
1: Yeah, and this is written by Quentin Sprague, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce it, mm. um, who's a um, writer and an artist and a curator. And it's he is exploring... A quite extraordinary moment in Aboriginal painting in the night, in between sort of about 1996 and 2008 10. Mm. And he's right, the strange artist he's writing about is a guy called Tony Oliver, extraordinary guy, who was a gallerist in Melbourne, quite a kind of wunderkind as a young artist himself and as a curator who um, has a lot of success. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, went to New York. Really successful gallery in Melbourne, brought people over from the States. He is in love with um, late modernist art. And he is led to East Kimberley, which is right at the top of Western Australia, mm-hmm. quite near the Northern Territory, really. An incredible landscape. And I say that not having been there, but I've looked online a lot. But the merely the descriptions of the landscape through Quentin Sprague's writing is really... It's mesmerising. Um, mm. And he's led there by a painter called Freddie Timms, an Aboriginal painter who's he meets in Melbourne. And um, Oliver has the idea that a collaboration can occur between him, a representative of Western art, um, a Gardia, a white man, and um, some nascent senior Aboriginal artists in the Kimberley towns, and it's um, mostly around Kananara and finally in Wyndham. So he goes there, and he Mm. completely immerses himself in the world of these painters, and they um, welcome him, they give him a skin name, and he starts what he never quite calls a collaboration, and this becomes something of a controversy as time goes on, but he works with the artists. He, He kind of I guess he's organising them to work and they work outside in the heat or under what they call um, mountables, things mm. that you can pull up and down, they sleep outside he has someone cooking for them he he finds their paints and mixes their paints for them I actually mm-hmm. had a little moment of huh, interesting when I heard that because it's quite, not invasive but it's quite um, it's a big choice that he's making in some ways Um and his idea is to make their painting economically viable for them—a better financial model. Because basically, they've been exploited. Really, there's been white people have come in and um, allegedly been helping them sell their art back into the um, mm. the cities. He wants a he wants a fairer model. So that's the main story. But at the same time, you're learning about the. Truly astonishingly horrible history of Aborigine in that part of the country, or mm. well, everywhere, of course. But um, and you're learning about the pastoralists who came in, and you know, um, Aborigine worked for them. There's a there's a um, an old um, couple of um, memoirs by a, quite a famous writer called Mary Durack, who writes about the Aboriginal community on her family's station in Argyll, I think it was called, mm-hmm. from about the um, middle of the 20th century, which was quite famous, and. What I didn't know was they worked there almost like indentured labour. They weren't paid. They just got their living. And then in the rainy season, they went back to country, to their own land. Mm-hmm. And um, they're working on the land you know that's been taken from them. And then when fair pay was brought in in the 1970s, the pastoralists let them all go, so they had nothing. So their um, livelihood or, or their survival was sort of ripped from them again. So that has resulted in a really... Um, Kind of tragic lifestyle, government dependence, alcoholism. I, I'm only skimming the surface here mm. because the way he describes it, it, it's just enthralling. He he, absolutely. Um, Tony Oliver throws himself into this life. He spends days drunk with lots of them, and then he corrals them and they paint, mm-hmm. and they have huge success. And the um the group becomes jirawan Arts, and the the financial model does work. It's, Wholly dependent on him though, even though there 's lots of other people come in for academics um, anthropologists mm-hmm. in the in the wings, ultimately it fails, and you know it 's going to fail, and it 's kind of heart wrenching and so it 's a sort of brief, wonderful moment. but the other thing that happens is mm. the art world mm. um, is very um, they qu- question the collaboration. So there's quite a lot of controversy around his being part of this work. And there's a whole lot of um, art politics mm. and race politics around that. I can't possibly do it justice. <laughs> it's extraordinary.
0: And that, well, that is the, the final book there The Stranger, Stranger Artist, I should say, by Quentin Sprague. Sprague? Sprague. Not sure. Fascinating books. Thank you very much, Kate. Pleasure. Lovely to talk to you as Same. always.